This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 5, Who is History's Blingiest? Hello again, everyone. I'm Zane Wind. And I'm Josh Virila. Thank you for joining us again. It's that time of the week where we put at you another cool story. So, Zane, what's happening? Uh, not much. I uh, actually just uh, took my uh, dog to the dog park. Um, there's actually okay. a really cool one um, in Brookhaven where it's pretty much like two blocks long, you know, four blocks wide, kind of like type thing. It's really large. But um, they allow uh, dogs to go off leash, so it's this giant, pretty much unofficial uh, dog park. Um, so um, I really enjoy going there and then uh, taking my dog, Jessie. But she was being pretty uh, weird today. Uh, she kind of didn't want to go. I kind of had to drag her out uh, a little bit. So I, I don't know what she was nervous about. So I don't know, the dogs are just, just they're, they're wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, creatures, but they can be weird sometimes, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure some some uh, owners brought in their own weird creatures mm-hmm. uh, to the park that might have freaked her out as well. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Um, let's see, I not much happening with me. Uh, you know, just basically same old, same old out there on a farm tilling it, killing it, and tilling it. You're actually on a farm, eh? No, well, in my mind, I'm on a farm. I, I'm on Farmville. Are you still, you still? Play I Farmville? never played it. I didn't get into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably for the best. Yeah, I mean, I can see why it'd be kind of fun and relaxing to play. I'm not hating on it. Okay, well, that's good. Saint, 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 do you what? feel that? What? Uh, uh, it, uh, is there some sort of creature coming after me? No, 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 no creature, but it is just as harrowing. It's uh, Headlines 120. Oh, yeah. Everybody's favorite abbreviated news stories where Zane and I have 120 seconds per story to give you the 411. All right, Zane, you're on the clock. 10,000 critically endangered frogs have suddenly died in Peru's Lake Titicaca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Peruvian authorities are investigating the deaths of over 10,000 critically endangered frogs in Lake Titicaca. <laughs> <laughs> The cause of uh, this frog massacre remains a mystery, though local activists have said water pollution and government negligence are to blame. Now, this is actually, this is really hilarious. The creature, also known as the Titicaca scrotum frog, <laughs> can't make that up. Um, and it's named, named uh. because of the folds in its skin, so it looks like <laughs> a course. certain uh, organ. It's, um, they're native to a large, to large freshwater lake that spans from Peru to Bolivia. And so uh, Peru's National Forestry and Wildlife uh, Service said it was investigating the mystery uh, of these deaths, um, but it looks like uh, pollution as the cause. Uh, there's been uh, sightings of solid waste and sludge that have been found around the lake. So um, Lake Titicaca has a lot of uh, crap uh, stuff going on in its lake, and it's killing some frogs. Well, that's sad that those frogs are dying. I wonder if they're related to uh, Lake Booby Poo Poo's ball frog. Uh, <laughs> no, all right, <laughs> all right. Let's let's move on on that note to the, to the next story. <laughs> Controversy surrounds artifacts on Azores Islands. Evidence of advanced ancient seafarers. Okay. All right. So basically, the Azores Islands, you know, off the coast of uh, 
Europe their ways. Uh, North um, Portugal owns them, right? So um, basically, there's a theory floating out there now that it's been inhabited thousands of years before Europeans settled it. And there's been a lot of, I guess, pushback in the past about it because people are like, no, if someone was out there, because these islands are a thousand miles off the coast of Europe, like this would have been in the Stone Age. People didn't have the technology to travel uh-huh. like that. So we highly doubt it that people um, have, were inhabiting it. But this one researcher has been kind of doing a bunch of digging around there. And they, they claim that, you know, there's some evidence that looks like it could have possibly been inhabited. Uh-huh. And, of course, there, there's been some theories out there um, before now. That I guess the Phoenicians back in the first century BC might have um, kind of inhabited it a little bit. So I thought that was kind of a neat story that, uh, hey, we might not know where everybody was at what time, obviously. Right. Where, where did the Phoenicians, where did they originate from again? Well, I can't tell you because my time's oh, up, Zane. Sorry. <laughs> but you're on the clock. All right. Man tripping on LSD saves dog from imagined house blaze. Oh, boy. A man in upstate New York bravely broke into his neighbor's blazing home to save their trapped dog on Thursday afternoon. Michael Orchard fled the burning property in Half Moon near Albany with the bewildered pup and tenderly cradled in his arms while resting on the front lawn. Or at least that's what the 43-year-old thought had happened. But state troopers said Orchard was actually tripping on a potent mixture of LSD and cough syrup. <laughs> there was no blaze at, at the house, and it was just a result of his hallucinations. <laughs> that cough syrup will get you every time. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> basically, uh, uh, the, the trooper, uh, Mark Sepiel, said he, he believed the residence was on fire, so he was just going to rescue the dog. So. I mean, at least this guy's intentions were correct. But uh, Orchard, um, he was charged with third-degree criminal mischief and second-degree burglary. Um, But he won't be facing drug charges, however, as he didn't drive on the road and was not found carrying any illegal substances. I just like like the mentioning, like, the dog looked bewildered. So that that, that made me laugh. But, you know, dog was uninjured. LSD's a hell of a drug. Yeah, man, apparently. All right. Well, good story, Zane. Good story. That's uh, interesting. Kids stay off yes. their drugs. All right. My next headline, super flexible 3D printed bones trigger new growth. Whoa. So this is kind of cool in the medical uh-huh. field. Um, they got this new kind of polymer that they're able to 3D print, and it kind of provides a, a scaffolding for damaged bones and broken bones to grow on. It promotes them to grow faster. And part of the reason is that the polymer is a mix of an elastic polymer plus hydro hydroxypatate. Wrong. I, I, that's wrong. That's terrible. That's wrong. Thank you, Dr. Zane. Uh, but it's a calcium mineral that's found in human bones and teeth. So once they put it in you, um, it kind of just encourages your bones to grow more. And it's a malleable type of spongy material. So it's easy for doctors to work with and mold onto you really oh. quick. So, you know, kind of kind of yeah, yeah, that could be used in all sorts of like, you know, the sports related field or injuries that happen in everyday normal people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I came in way under time. So kudos yes. to me. Nice. All right, Zane, you're on the clock. Don't let us down. Alien life may munch on galactic cosmic rays. Mm. Extreme microbes that live in hostile places, including on Earth, may feed off cosmic rays that zip through space according to a study of bizarre bacterium thriving deep in dark in a dark gold mine. If, li- if mm. life exists on other planets, such as Mars, 
it too could be uh, these type of bacterium could be gobbling up cosmic rays in order to survive, this new study suggests. According to uh, Dimitri Atri, when you have radiation penetrating deep below the surface, where there might be water on Mars or Jupiter's moon in Europa, then it could start chemical reactions that life could use. And so using computer simulations, um, Atri found that galactic cosmic rays, though rare, could provide a steady flow of energy for life on the ground. Uh, and this energy is comparable to that of emitted by radioactive substances on Earth. So that could be another extreme way that uh, life could survive, you know, outside in uh, really unhospitable areas, um, you know, outside in space. So I think that's pretty cool. It's, that is pretty neat. And uh, I wonder what they, they eat in Uranus. Uh, titty caca. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Time's up on that one. Good science one there, Zane. I like yeah. it. Um, space, the final frontier. Yes, indeed. Uh, all right. Uh, my final headline. This robot can do more push-ups because it sweats. So, all right, some Japanese scientists. Yeah. Some Japanese scientists have uh, figured out a way to cool off their robotics. Uh, And this particular robot is a push-up doing robot, I guess, because we need that. Of course. But um, apparently it generates, you know, so much torque. And not just this robot, but lots of other machines and robots generate so much torque. uh, And heat, it can overheat the engines and motors and stuff. So um, they need a way to cool it down. Now, traditionally, they use things like cooling systems or heat sinks or other things like that. But it requires people to build all this into the the robot. So it takes up more space. But what these guys did was figure out a way to, and it's another 3D printing story. They 3D print um, some aluminum type of metal. And it they kind of print it so it has these little grooves and channels in it. And it allows them to push water through the framework of this robot. Uh, and as it goes through the framework, it just kind of a little bit of water will leak out. And it'll around whatever they're trying to cool off. And then it'll evaporate because it's controlled. It's not just a big puddle Jeez. of water. So it functions just like sweat. So it's really cool. And in testings have shown that this method of cooling works three times better than air cooling, like with fans and stuff. And significantly better than just circulating water through the interior channel, but not as effective as traditional radiator cooling. Well, damn. And, I, and I'm over time Yeah, you're, on this you're one, sweating. So. You're sweating just like these robots. You're trying to get in time. I am. I, I sweat it. But, I, you know, I had I had some saved over from my last one. So <laughs> I, I, we'll let it slide, yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, so, uh, Josh, um, you know, those robots are probably pretty expensive and probably owned by some really rich person, rich companies and all that. So that kind of goes into our uh, whole thing today. And uh, so we're going into the blingiest of history. So I'm assuming our incredible story today is about wealth. Well, uh, yes, Zane, you are correct. Today, let's talk about money. Now, Zane, what, what do you, th- who comes to mind when you think of uh, the richest person you can think of? Donald Trump, hands down. Well, I, he's, I, he's, he's, his bank account is definitely huge. That's for huge, sure. huge. He is the richest man in the universe. He's richer than all the <laughs> aliens and all the robots. <laughs> Everything. Everything he says is true. And he's rich. He does it he does it bigly. That's that's for sure. Huge. Uh well, he surely has more money than you and I will ever see. That's that's a fact. But but he is merely a pauper compared to some of history's richest of all time. Some some of the wealthiest people include names synonymous with wealth. 
such as John the Rockefeller, Rockefeller, who got his money from the Standard Oil Company, which, you know, was pretty big back when oil was coming all into mm-hmm. rage. His fortune was estimated around $340 billion in today's and money. Dr. Evil is uh, pretty jealous. <laughs> yeah. And in 1918, he was worth $1.5 billion, <laughs> uh, which back then, good Lord. I mean, yeah, it's... <laughs> He, I think he was like stupid. the second billionaire. That's just, that's just stupid. Stupid money. Yeah. So, you know, they get the money today of what is worth $340 billion. Um, It's adjusted on inflation and comparing his money to a percentage of overall GDP of the U.S. economy at the time. So that's kind of where they how they get these modern numbers for these old, old people's wealth, right? Mm-hmm. But also now when you think of wealth, maybe you might think of Andrew Carnegie. Mm-hmm. Of Carnegie Steel fame and also Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. um, he was worth about three hundred and ten billion dollars in today's money. And and for a little bit of comparison, Bill Gates is only worth about eighty one point four billion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nothing. Jump change. Yeah, exactly. And the richest of them all, you may ask. Well, it depends, but most people point to a, a Malian emperor named Mansa Musa. Musa. But an argument can also be made for an Incan named, and I will surely butcher this one up, Atahalpa. Sound good. Atahalpa. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, but before I get into them, Zane, let's talk a little bit about what wealth is, all right? What is wealth? What is that? Question of the day. Let's ponder. Now, this is where it gets a bit confusing, right? Today, when we think about money, we think paper bills, right? Mm-hmm. But... Cultures have based their economies on a wide range of currency. Let's dive a little deeper, shall we? Zane, did you know that salt has been used as currency? In fact, it has been used as tax payment in China, and in ancient Rome, soldiers were often paid in salt packs. And the Latin word relating to salt, salarium, is where the English words for soldier and salary come from. Oh, okay, cool. In fact, well into the 20th century, some remote areas of Ethiopia used bars of salt as money. And during the 19th century here, it was observed that a slave cost a donkey load of salt bars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that's it's a lot, lot of salt bars. A lot of salt. Yeah, the salt in this area, um, in the bars, they weighed about a pound, and estimates range that... Uh, one dollar of you know our money would buy you seven to forty-eight salt bars. Okay. An Ethiopian would say about a millionaire, he eateth salt. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, salt is one of the most common forms of preservatives, especially back then. Um, you know, they had to definitely preserve their uh, their meats and um, their veggies and all that, and that was the best way to keep it, uh, you know, fresh. Because of course they didn't have you know modern. Uh, refrigeration or anything like that, and so that makes sense. That was a, a big form of currency back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they they put that on everything. Yes, they did. But it also made your stuff taste good too. So you know, there's that. Yeah. But um, you think that's interesting? Now you can't have salt, Zane, without pepper. And I prefer pepper over salt. So I, I really, I love yeah. pepper. I don't really need that much salt because a lot of foods already have plenty of sodium for me. Okay, I I got a bit of a salt tooth myself. Kind of like a porcupine, I guess. Ugh. But, you know, going hand in hand with pepper, during the Middle Ages, peppercorns were the accepted form of currency. Okay. Um, The fact that they were in such high demand led greatly to 
you know, those guys exploring the sea routes um, to the spice places in the Far yeah, East. Yeah. You heard you heard of the spice trade, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of like what opened up the world is to get these mm-hmm. spices. Um, and of those spices, peppercorn was king at the time, worth more than gold. So that sounds crazy. But not just peppercorn, all spices. In the 1300s, nutmeg was once so valued that one pound of it in Europe cost, I get this thing, it cost seven fattened oxen, <laughs> making it more valuable than gold. I don't know how many fattened oxens you have, but, uh, you know, that's a price I would gladly pay. I got three, so <laughs> okay, yeah, a little nutmeg. Get, get some. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> what, I, what I'm kind of like, you know, I can understand pepper mm-hmm. and salt. That can be used for so many different things. But nutmeg, I mean, what do you, mm-hmm. like, all I think of is, like, hot cocoa or something. Like, what are you using that constantly for? Well, you know, I guess in today's society, we're kind of spoiled because we, we have it so available to us. But back then, you think of... You know, what? what is the flavor profile of all the stuff? Yeah. I mean, you've been eating, say, like you back then, you've been eating this one type of meat, and all you have is maybe salt, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's it on it, and then all of a sudden some guy comes around, hey, you like that? Check this out. Okay. Bam! And then it's like, oh my god, it's like discovering a new color, I would imagine. You that know? makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I look at it anyways. Good point. Yeah, so if only I could cash in my spice rack, man, I'd be loaded. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we're getting a bit off <laughs> topic. Uh, let's... <laughs> Let's go away from there a little bit to from the Spice Islands to another. That's the problem about food. Just talk about it a lot. I know. Everyone can relate to it. But Zane, there's this island in Micronesia, um, the island of Yap. And what they liked for currency, they used rocks. (laughs) Uh, Namely in the form of giant round discs with holes in the middle called rye stones. Or ray stones. I don't know the pronunciation again. But to make these, what they would do is they would travel to neighboring islands to harvest the limestone. And then these stones could be as large as, you know, 12 feet in diameter and weighing almost 9,000 pounds. So, I mean, they're huge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it wasn't just the size that made them valuable to the Yapese. It's the level of craftsmanship that would go into making it. And if someone died making it, uh, or if it was delivered by someone like a famous, uh, famous islander, mm-hmm. it all factored into the value of the money. It would go up. So they they liked things with good stories attached to them, I guess. You know, uh, but people would use these things as money, but they weren't very practical, as you can imagine. Giant rocks <laughs> with holes in them. Does it really fit in your wallet? No, you know, it's, uh, you can't really carry those around or, or make change for them very easily. <laughs> Uh, but they would often, um, they wouldn't even move once they delivered these rocks. To, um, the ownership passed with like an agreement. So if you had a giant rock and, you know, bought something from me, you would just say, okay, this rock is yours now. So that, that's kind of how that would work. But let's put that into perspective a little bit. Smaller coins of, of these, you know, rocks that they would make. Um, smaller coins, say 10 inches in diameter, could be worth as mu- about as much as it's put in today's money. Six thousand dollars. Okay. Right. So the really huge ones were. I mean, you could buy like a house with those, and that's kind of what these stones were used for for large transactions, such as buying land oh, okay. and, and things okay. of that, that nature. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, but <laughs> makes sense for them. <laughs> not, back not, then, you know. Yeah, it makes sense for them until they learned, hey, we can use other things. <laughs> Imagine if, like, you if you're trying to get like change or whatever like that, like, all right, fine, I gotta chip this big behemoth down a bit so I could chip it down in some coins, something like that, you know? Oh, yeah, and I'm sure people shaved them off <laughs> a little bit. And, you know, 
whatever. But yeah, a lot of those um, huts keep those things in their family because they own them. So it's kind of like a pride thing mm-hmm. now. But uh, let me give you one more, Zane. And, and I'm doing all this for, for you and the listeners to give you context on the meaning of wealth, right? So on the Solomon Islands, as recently as 2013, villagers of Finelli on the island of Malaria, Maliata, uh, something like that. <laughs> My pronunciation, I mean, I'm all over the world this episode. Give me a break. Okay. <laughs> all right, but on this island, they use dolphin teeth as, as currency. Oh, damn. Yeah. Now, the islanders were using more modern form of currency, but when the island's dollar currency became devalued, they went back to their traditional currency, which involved them hunting and killing more than 1,600 dolphins. And that's a lot of dolphins. But since 1976, they have killed more than 15,000 dolphins to gather their teeth for currency. Uh, of course, this angers a lot of, um, you know... <laughs> animal rights groups and sure stuff Peter's like, like yeah. god i hate you not not very uh not very friendly to the dolphins although i will say they do also eat the meat of oh, the good. dolphins so it's not just like they don't just kill them and take their teeth although they probably shouldn't be killing them anyways yeah. but you know that's a very remote part of the world and you know that's just they kind of fall back on tradition mm-hmm. there so in these cultures you can see Zane, the wealthiest person would be the one who controlled these types mm-hmm. of items you see they didn't have a currency reference for other forms of money. I mean, how many peppercorns would make you the wealthiest person in the world? A lot. <laughs> you know, it's like if I told you, Zane, I have 12 million seashells, and on the island of Sheltopia, I am king. I am the wealthiest person in the world because we don't recognize any other form of money. I gotcha. I can't wait to explore this exotic land of Shelltopia. I'll bring these primitives into the modern society and show them how rich I am if my name isn't Zane D. Rockefeller. Welcome to Shelltopia, visitor from the far, far away. What can I get for you? Well, I demand to be served your finest food and drink, for I am hungry and thirsty. And I'm a Rockefeller for heaven's sake. Oh, but of course. But I must charge you, for nothing in Sheltopia is free. Of course, of course. I can afford whatever, for I am the wealthiest person in the world. Here is $75. That should cover it. Well, not to argue, Mr. Rockfellow, but I, King J, vanquisher of volcanoes, is the wealthiest in the land. And I am sorry, but your meal costs five shells. Oh, What's that in money? I'm sorry. We don't accept weird colored paper here. You must pay in shells. But I don't have any shells. What do I do? How do I live? You must go labor like the rest of the shellless in the slug farm to earn some shells. But, but, uh, I, uh, Rockefeller. But let's focus on the most common and desired commodity throughout history to determine the wealthiest person's name. Okay. So I mentioned earlier Mansa Musa and Atahalupa. Good job. Thank you. Their pockets were so deep, it put your ass to sleep. Damn, son. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Mansa Musa was worth about, all right, you ready for this? $400 billion in today's money. Well, that's, no, that's not <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> 400 billion why not 405 billion right, right. 
Nah. But, but really at this level, Zane, putting a monetary definition on your wealth is difficult, if not silly. I mean, when you're worth that much, I mean, it's just like, hey, what's an extra couple million, right? Yeah. So, so Mansa means king. His real name was Musakita I. And he came into power in 1312 and ruled the Mali Empire, which stretched 2,000 miles from the west coast of Africa past Timbuktu. So the total territory was about 500,000 square miles. Now this territory not only was rich in resources, but also was home to many important cultural and trading centers of West Africa, like Timbuktu. Mansa Musa ruled over all of this and as such amassed his great wealth. Mansa Musa was also a devout Muslim and his pilgrimage to Mecca made him known to everyone across North Africa the Middle East, and Europe. The big dog. Yeah, I mean, you got that much coin, you want people to know you got it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So check this out. His pilgrimage, which took place between 1324 and 1325 AD, and his entourage uh, during the pilgrimage, his entourage included 60,000 men. Of those 60,000, 12,000 were slaves tasked with carrying Four pounds of gold bars each. Yeah. So, I mean, just think of that right there, right? Mm -hmm. So he's got... He's traveling from his capital city all the way to Mecca, right? Mm -hmm. It's a long journey. So he has 60,000 men, and of those 12,000 are slaves. You got 12,000 slaves, and each one of them are just tasked to carrying four pounds of gold. I mean, good lord. Well, I hope all I hope all the men and slaves and everyone involved, you know, they're uh, you know Muslims, so at least they're making a trip to Mecca. You know, it's not a complete waste of time. Well, for I don't I don't think all of them were Muslim, but or maybe probably not the slaves. Well, but, I can uh, I can hope. I guess I don't know. I guess well, you know, you're in a pretty prominent, um, pretty prominent guy's crew, so I guess it's it's not all bad. I don't know. Well, anyway, check it. It doesn't stop there though, Zane. He had a personal bodyguard of 500 men. His heralds, the people that go before him, you know, mm-hmm. they wore silk. And its silk at the time was incredibly expensive, yeah. of course, like like spices. Uh, and they carried gold staffs. Now, the king had 80 camels. And each of those camels carried between 50 and 300 pounds of gold dust, which he used this just to give out to the poor along the way. During his trip to Mecca. So he's just going through cities, throwing out gold, giving it to people. Sure, this isn't just a scene from Aladdin where he's coming in. <laughs> it's like, it's close. You know, it's probably that scene was probably based on a lot of this, I would imagine. Uh, but I can I can picture that a, a little, you know, dancing monkey. Is there a genie and, going around singing a song? You know, he was so rich, he probably had a genie. Oh, okay. <laughs> or, 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 you know, he may probably didn't even need a genie. He was so rich. Yeah, he can get any wish he wants, you know? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so he did that, um, giving out uh, money to poor along the way. So he would buy Turkish and Ethiopian slave girls, as well as garments and souvenirs in the cities he passed through. And some say he built a mosque every Friday. <laughs> so, because, you know, he's Muslim devout, he's going yeah, to Mecca. Yeah. He, he's, they need a worship. What are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to go back home. There's nothing around. So, hey, yeah, just build, a, build me a mosque as, as I'm going through here. I mean, he's got enough manpower to do it, obviously. It's good to be the king. <laughs> it definitely is. 
So this guy was so wealthy that he actually destabilized local economies of Egypt and Arabia. The cities of Cairo, Medina, and Mecca were so devastated by the sudden influx of gold that it took more than 10 years <laughs> for the prices to recover. Yeah, so prices of gold skyrocketed, but, you know, this guy, the king, uh, Mansa Musa, he wasn't such a bad guy. He, he noticed, he kind of like, oh crap, I kind of destabilized this whole area. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and, and help rectify it by borrowing gold at high interest rates and, and from the lenders in these regions. So he tried to help combat that a little bit. Okay. So, yeah, nice guy. Smart He's guy. a pretty nice guy. Yeah, smart and nice. Well, aside from the slaves, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah, that that was probably not so good. So, so but this, this trip to Mecca brought so much attention outside of his empire that European merchants started putting Mali and Timbuktu on their maps. So, and that's how you do it, Zane. Yeah. I mean, you literally put your put your empire on the map. You know, that's... It's pretty impressive. That's pretty crazy. Now, let's move to the Americas, Zane, where we find the Incan Empire. So, it's 1532, and Atahalupa had just finished a war secession with his half-brother, Huascar. I think that's how you say it. So they had like a civil war, a little conflict there. Mm -hmm. They were trying to figure out who was going to be the head guy, right? Mm -hmm. So Atahalupa was, he won. And he became the last Sapa Inca, or emperor of the Incan Empire. So the Incans consider their ruler a god, right? Right. So he was the last head honcho of the Incan Empire before its collapse. Not too shabby. I'm sure his parents were proud. <laughs> or the son was proud. <laughs> so, all right. The Incan Empire stretched from Peru down the coast of South America to Chile and Argentina. And it's notable for being the only major civilization that didn't have a market. Oh, okay. And, and, and what this means is that the ruler dictated what everyone got, pretty much. So, so your life was pretty much based on whatever he wanted it. To be. Kind of almost like a communistic society in a way. I don't know. Um, more so than that, because you know, communism, you still have markets and stuff. You like, you go to the store and you buy stuff. Okay, right? okay. So it's straight up, just dictatorship. Just yeah, straight. You're getting exactly what I tell you. You're getting, and you you don't need anything else but what I provide for you. Mm. So because there was no notion of money here in the Incan Empire. Although some form of trade in, in precious metals were around in some areas of the empire, like in the remote areas amongst um, like the trader classes, like they would trade, a, you know, here, here's a bronze piece of metal um, for some netting, I guess, or, you know, whatever. But it, there wasn't really like the common people wouldn't go and, you know, buy things. But basically what the people were, you know, they were the subjects, so... So what they would do to pay taxes is their taxes were paid in the form of either crops or textiles they would make or military and labor services to the head Incan guy. So basically, okay, you grow food, give it to the emperor. The emperor takes that food, gives you some whatever you need to live, gives it to other people that need to live. Because not everybody's growing food. Some people are making clothes. Right. So the Incan guy, hey, I'll take your clothes. I give you to some clothes. I'm going to give these clothes. These are nice clothes. I'm giving to other people. These clothes, the fabulous clothes, they're not made in China. They're made right here. Make Inca great again. So, <laughs> All right, Trump. Yeah. 
So, I mean, and the same goes for the military service. If you didn't do those things, you'd serve in the military or you'd serve in building houses, whatever, whatever the, the guy wanted you to do. Uh, barter was used mostly through, um, um, mostly though between the people. So saying if you had, say like, you know, a blanket and I wanted a blanket and I'd say, Zane, can I have that blanket? I'll trade you these shoes. You know, that's, uh-huh. that's kind of what they did, but no, no money exchange. Right. Um, now the emperor would give you what you needed in exchange for what you did to include houses, food, and even wives. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, do a good job. So around this time, of course, was when the Conquistadors came about and Atahopa was captured and you might have heard the, this guy, Francisco Pizarro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he, Pizarro pretty much used Atahopa as a puppet to control the empire, right? Because he was like the head guy, those with the Incans, you know, they worshipped the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he found that it was easy for him to control the people by having the Incan tell the people what to do. And they saw uh, probably at this point, they saw Francisco and other conquistadors as gods right? So they kind of just pretty much just listened to everything they said? Um, no, not really. I mean, maybe at first a little bit, um, due to some you know, stories and, and legends they had but I think it was it was soon realized that this was not the case. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it wasn't they, they didn't have that charade to pull over their eyes all over the place. But, you know, that is a common, um, you know, theme on the conquistadors you know, venturing into people because they were so much more advanced, um, you know, weapons and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually you can see that Pizarro considered um, the Incan staying in power as a liability. So he imprisoned him. And while trying to negotiate his freedom, Atahalupa told Pizarro that he would fill a room 20 feet long by 17 feet wide with gold up to a line, which would have been about eight feet high. And then twice fill the room up with silver, and and this would be done in two months' time. Well, jeez, <laughs> that, that's that's a lot, a lot of stuff. It's quite an offer. It is. It's pretty, uh, pretty uh, enticing. That's for sure. So the total volume of this room, after doing some uh, mathematical calculations, in, <laughs> would would have been two thousand nine hundred and ninety-two cubic feet. So my calculations, if the room was filled entirely of gold. Uh, with um with the price of gold at of uh, my most recent checking recently of uh gold price at $1257.90 per ounce <clears throat> that equals are you ready for this <laughs> I was just make sure I can read this number right godspeed that number would equate to 72 billion 486 million 797 1849 dollars just that much i don't know doesn't see okay that doesn't impress you okay well how about a little bit more and silver prices at 17 dollars and 48 17 dollars and 48 cents per ounce at current calculations or most recent ones uh that equals an extra 1 billion 7 million 292 thousand seven hundred and seven dollars and 94 cents now, you know, he said he'd do that two times. So you times that number by two. So you get another two billion and some change for a grand total. Do it in Dr. Evil's accent. Just do it. Yeah, okay, okay. <clears throat> for a grand total of 74,501,383,000. Oh, 
$1,264.90. Oh. Whoa. Now, of course, I base this purely on, like, if the room was filled pretty much with, like, liquid gold and it was solidified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So full, full with no air gaps in it. Although, so I'm sure my math and assumptions are off. As I am no mathematician, Sam, yeah, and you might have noticed. Yeah, you work in PR. You don't know anything about math. Yeah, I don't know math that well. Um, we'll take it with a grain of salt. Ah! <laughs> Not nutmeg, though. Yeah. But this this calculation, um, mine's a little bit more optimistic, I would say. I've seen some calculations that say it would be closer to $301 million worth in today's money. Oh, okay. But, but still, this would have been occurred in just two months, so I'd imagine there was a lot more to be had. And, you know, there was. As the conquistadors pillaged the Incans and, and brought all of the gold and silver back to Europe in the 1500s, now, it caused a prolonged slump and high inflation, just like uh, when Mansa Musa traveled across North Africa to go to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Now, wow, like, imagine being Zane. So rich that taking a vacation or dumping your wealth on an area or a continent causes it to have all sorts of economic issues. You couldn't even imagine such a luxurious vacation where this no. would happen. What, were you going to go to hedonism or yeah, something? I mean, Sandals? That's it. That's that's the, 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 <laughs> the top of the mountain, you know? Yeah, I mean, that that is a lot of money to destabilize regions, right? Um, so I guess... You, you call the richest person of all time. It depends on how you look at things. But at some point, it just doesn't matter anymore. When you have the resources of an empire and control all the resources of a massive land area to include trade routes, or if your subjects saw you as a descendant of a sun god, I mean, you just can't calculate it. I mean, the, to me, those guys are the richest guys of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense. So, so what do you think about... The bling show, Zane. Well, I just thought it was really interesting. I never really thought about it, but of course, these you know really rich um, you know historic figures, these kings, these princes, these these royal figures. You know, of course, they're going to travel around the world. And I didn't think about the impact that their wealth would have on you know local communities. And mm-hmm. it's it's pretty interesting that um, that they would destabilize economies. Yeah, that's something that you don't really hear people talk about. I mean, probably because it hasn't come up that much in, in all of history. I mean, these two guys. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, destabilizing whole economies of regions is, is unheard of. Right. And also one thing, you know, I took from this that I thought was interesting. And, you know, wealth is a complicated thing, like, uh, especially for these uh, figures way back when. It wasn't just that they had all these sea cells. They actually had property and land and all the all controlling all that mm-hmm. that's what made you wealthy it wasn't just one single thing um and you know it's it's pretty incredible story and it's pretty incredible history yeah i mean now let's have a little bit zane what what would you do with all that money i mean what what just think you're you have as much money as you could possibly imagine and then double that what's the, what would you do with it well, I mean, I think, you know, in our today society, if we were granted something, you know, all that money, it's pretty much like you won the lottery or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of it like that. I, you know, I honestly would, you know, kind of put my affairs in order and I would just travel the world as much as I c- could until I got bored. Would you travel it in like a gold boat or something? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> like, 
You're not that flashy. No, like I would just I don't want to bring too much attention to myself. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, of course, if you have all that money, you know, you're going to pamper yourself. Um, You're going to stay in the nicest hotels, take the nicest, you know, mm-hmm. means of transport. But I wouldn't want to just flash it around because I don't want I don't want the this incredible journey to end. I don't want to be, you know, killed or, you know, <laughs> robbed or anything. Yeah. Like I just want to like, you know, have my money. And travel discreetly, you know, as, as much as I can with my friends and family. Sure. Until I get bored. And I, I feel like in a realistic situation, like I would do that, you know, maybe for a year or two. And then I would try to find a way to invest that money into, you know, some sort of thing that I can work on, some sort of business. Um, like invested in an incredible podcast? That would be that would be an option right there. Um, All right, yeah. Better equipment and, you know, just uh, better ways to spread awareness than all that, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, too, it, it kind of go along with that, uh, the I guess the ease of today's money, uh, you know, you have it in paper, but really it's in digital currency in a bank somewhere. So yep. if you have that much money, you can travel around pretty discreetly. True. But back then, I mean, you have gold bars. So. You got slaves holding like yeah, gold bars. It's not in a bank somewhere and you have quick access. You got to bring it with you. Right. And you have to have an entourage to protect yeah. it and you. So, you know, I guess I don't want to say that was a blatant flaunt of wealth, although it was, but it was kind of like the only practical way of moving with yeah, it. You can't get around it. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, well, you know, what would you do, Josh, if suddenly... You just got seven hundred mm. billion dollars or whatever. Uh, you know, it'd be really cool if I could start my own country. Like, huh. if I could make a deal with some other countries, like, can I buy this land from you and just make my own country, and it's mine, not just like rent an island or something. Mm-hmm. So then I start my own country, uh, but you know that might be kind of. Uh, I feel like that'd be kind so of ambitious. complicated. You'd have to go through the UN. <laughs> like, it would be. Probably. No, no UN. I wouldn't be in there. <laughs> I'd just be my own little thing outside there. Yeah. But, you know, some people actually do have their own countries, and that'd probably be a good show for another time, is um, these little countries that pop up um, that are kind of in the ocean off oil platforms and stuff like that. But um, realistically, what I would do with my money, you know, I'd probably just invest it in projects. And, you know, yeah. I like doing these type of things, creative stuff. So I'd probably, you know, help help um, help promote this show, obviously, and, and maybe do some other side projects. Maybe, um, some acting stuff, production stuff yeah. would be kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I'm right there with you. I mean, I would probably travel and then I would invest in creative projects. So right there with you. Yeah. Well, you know what I would also do, Zane, is I would just sit down and write haikus, haikus. every day. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's bust into some haikus for the listeners. Show them, show them what's the what. All righty. Well, um, I'll jump into it if you don't mind. Yeah, you, yeah, go ahead. Okay. You got three today, right? I got three. I'm not being oh. a so I got it. The- <laughs> Kudos to stepping up, putting your big boy. Actually, that's on. debatable. Boy. You'll see why laziness might oh, okay. be a factor, but it'll be funny. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's go. Go okay. ahead. I got to insert the music. Okay. Continue. Relax. Enjoy yeah. yourself. Get into your pose and listen to some high cues. Money. What is it? It's varied through history, but always gets girls. <laughs> Yes, that's that's true. Uh, money for nothing and chicks for free. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I like it. All right. Uh, all right. My first one. An African king compared to one modern man, 
He is Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yes. That that uh, also reminds me, like, you know, if, uh, if I did have all that money, I would jump into a big just room of gold, like, I think, like a pool. Mm-hmm. Well, not gold. That would hurt. But cash. How about that? Yeah, cash, maybe. But that would probably hurt, too. Yeah. <laughs> OK. All right. So uh, my turn. OK. The common saying, mo money, mo problems, yo, <laughs> is a dumb saying. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, you know, more money, more gold. Whatever, right? You know, if you're having problems with, if you have a lot of money and you're getting problems, you know what? Who cares? You have a lot of money. Like, I, you know. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Yeah. I'll have the problems. Give me the money. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very P. Diddy of you. Z. Diddy. Z. Oh, I like that. An Incan who can fill rooms for a Spanish man strangled to death. Damn. <laughs> I didn't get into how the Incan, um, the last Incan died, but he, he was strangled. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least he died a wealthy man, I guess. I, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> more money, more problems. Well, yeah, well, damn, yeah, I guess that's... <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's what PDD was trying to say. Yeah, there you go. All right. Here's where it's debatable where I'm lazy or not. Actually, it's not debatable. Okay. I'm lazy. But it's still funny. Okay. Money! Get away, get a good job with more pay, and you are okay. All right, that's a tribute to Pink Floyd. Uh, Money. <laughs> but it's a, Now, that did follow haiku form, right? Pretty much a perfect haiku. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's almost like perfect, except for the you are okay. It's, uh-huh. He says in the lyrics, and you're okay. So I just had to um, stretch it out. You are okay. So it worked out. Wow. All right, Zane. Very Pink Floyd. Good. Pink Floyd. That is money. Pink so Floyd. I'll, I'll yeah. Give them credit. Hopefully, we don't have to pay uh, royalties for that. Uh, I butchered rendition. It, that, my butchering of the song <laughs> didn't sound anything like it, so I don't think it's possible to provide proof. Okay. Well, um, here's my last my last haiku. Gold, I be baggins. Bilbo calls me smog because my pockets be dragging. Oh my! What the? Oh! <laughs> Yeah, freaking Hobbit and rap and pun involved in a haiku. Yeah, yeah, you know, I just thought a little something something for uh, for all of the Middle Earth fans. Oh my god, that's the nerdiest thing I think I've ever heard you say. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Thank you. We can do a whole show just on that lyric, those lyrics, I guess. That's that's pretty incredible. That's <laughs> thank you. That's, that's thank probably you. the best one I think we've had with all the just because of all the creativity that you put that in there. You know, it took me literally seconds to think of. <laughs> you give me too much credit. Were you just thinking <laughs> of like, okay, gold and all that, and it just made you think of like the whole Hobbit scene where the dragon um, guarding its small. Well, I, I think what I wanted to do with that one, I, I wanted to say something about my pockets be dragon, and then I was like, dragon, what's a famous dragon? Smog. Oh, smog's a dragon. Yeah. It's like bagging and dragon rhyme. All right, it's good. God damn, that's that's the best one. Ding ding ding. That thank, is the best one. Thank you. Well, that is our show for today. Thank you guys for joining us as always. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and um, also to make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, our handle is at IncredPod. Check us out on our main website, IncrediblestoriesPodcast.com. We're on YouTube, Stitcher, and iTunes. So uh, also you can send us an email, a note, and uh, we'll have uh, um, show notes and links up on our website regarding this episode. 
Yeah, and you know, let us know how we're doing. If you guys have any suggestions for shows uh, that you want, send us haikus. Yes, yeah, send us haikus. We want to see what you're capable of, much better than what we are, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. For Incredible Stories podcast, I'm Josh, and I'm Zane. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. See you later. Get it.